Well, good evening, everybody. Welcome to today's webcast. Hi, Barry. How are you doing? Hi, everybody. Good, mate. How are you doing? I'm doing good, thank you. Yes, we have a storm a brewing in the UK, so the wind and the rain are coming. <laughs> well, it's uh, not too bad here. Uh, we are starting to get snow north of us, but we're we're doing pretty good here so good. far. But uh, believe me, it will be coming. It it's will getting be coming. cold. Well, my daughter and son-in-law came back from France today and they got an earlier ferry crossing, but it was apparently a little bit choppy in the channel. <laughs> wow. So uh, they're back home now. So that's, they've been on yeah. all day and stuff. So anyway, folks, thank you all for joining us. It's just um, so good to have you all with us once again. Um, this evening, we have a, a guest with us, a guy, a friend of mine called Darren, Darren Mitchell from Leamington in the UK. First met Darren at a Father Heart School encounter a few years ago and um, he's been um, you know on a few events we've been doing. He actually met Barry, well he was in the same room as Barry in in Gloucester in <laughs> in May. That's how Barry pronounces Gloucester when Barry and Anne were over. Um, <laughs> But yes, and I just I just discovered that now. I just yes. uh, I didn't know. I, I would have went over to Darren and gave him a big high five. But uh, <laughs> but he, he did remember my flash socks, which uh, that was pretty impressive. I think they are, <laughs> in mem you know, indelibly inked upon our memories, Barry. <laughs> Whether we like it or not. Or not. <laughs> anyway, I'm going to just oh, bring yes. Darren in, and we'll introduce him and. Um, then we can hear his story. So Darren, welcome. Thank you for joining us. Oh, you're welcome. It's good to be here. Evening, morning, afternoon, everybody. Yeah, I mean, we've got people probably from mainly Europe and probably North America. But um, yeah, I always say good evening. Barry always says good afternoon, um, you know, whatever. <laughs> whatever time zone you want to be in, Darren, that's, you're, you're very welcome. <laughs> So um, thank you for joining us um, this evening, Darren. Um, we're just going to kind of want to unpack a little bit of your story together. I mean, I obviously know you a little bit better than, than Barry does, but he'll be chipping in with questions, you know, maybe as, as the, 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 web, the broadcast goes on. But um, first of all, um, Darren, where do you live at the moment? So I live here in the UK. I live in a little town called Leamington Spa, Royal Leamington Spa, to give it its right name and rightful name. Um, so yes, I live uh, yeah, in Warwickshire. Right, which is kind of in the middle of the country, yeah? Yeah, sandwiched in between Birmingham and Coventry. It's the nicer part of that area. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so so what, what is Warwick famous for? Um, Warwick has a lovely castle, um, so we have Warwick Castle here, which has been there for quite a few uh, hundred years. Um, what else is Warwick famous for? Yeah, mostly history. Uh, it's got a lot of history, a lot of old buildings, Tudor buildings, etc. Mm -hmm. um, I think it was uh, the home of Henry VIII for a while, so uh, yes. Yeah. yeah, and what about Leamington? Why is it called a spa town? So, yes, um, it's almost like Leamington has a big lake with a lid on the top. <laughs> that's, called, that's called the ground. Um, so there was a, there was a, a postmaster called um, Benjamin Satchwell um, that discovered a cow licking a rock many, many years ago. 
And um, what came off the back of that was a man called Dr. Jefferson, who had a, uh, he had a basically, a, a, he had a surgery in London, um, then discovered the waters and he believed it was healing waters. So he opened up um, all of the um, baths in Leamington Spa. So and it was called Royal Leamington Spa because Queen Victoria came to visit us um, once on her way to Birmingham. And one other interesting fact for you, um, we had we used to have the Leamington Hotel and it had 99 rooms and one toilet. Wow. <laughs> OK, I hope things have changed a little bit since then. <laughs> I do as well. <laughs> yeah. And so what's, what's, what, what's your job? What's your line of work um, the, these days, Darren? Yeah. So um, I've been at St. Mary's Church for 20 years. Um, and basically, um, I've been involved with um, a sort of quite a well-known Christian charity called Christians Against Poverty. Um, and I manage the debt centre here. And, and basically, um, our, our sort of position is we go into the homes of our clients and we help them to get out of debt. Most of our clients are very vulnerable um, in very many different ways, but we also have the privilege of sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ um, with our clients as well. Um, and I have another hat and the other hat is I'm a youth leader within our church, which I've been doing for the last five years. So uh, that's what I get up to during the week uh, and keeps me out of trouble, which is always good. Well, I always think you look very young, Darren. So being a youth worker must fit. <laughs> and tell us a little bit about your family and, you know, the generations. Because you, you, you're a grandfather. I... Yes, tell us, tell us about your wonderful family. Yeah, so I have, um, I have a beautiful wife called Rebecca. Um, and we have three daughters. We have twins. Erin and Libby, um, and then we have our youngest daughter who is Honey, and both of our twin daughters have one child each, so we have two grandchildren. Um, Aria oh. is our newest, she is four months old, and um, um, Nevea is nearly four years old. So yes, it's a joy to have grandchildren, love it, amazing experience yeah. and amazing privilege really. We love it too, don't we Barry? <laughs> oh absolutely, nothing like it. Yeah, and what, actually, Barry, while we're on the subject of grandchildren, you are stepping into the, the grand parently role over the next few days, aren't you? Yeah, <laughs> yes. We're, uh, I think in two hours from now, our three grandchildren are coming over uh, to be shepherded by grandma and grandpa for the next six days as mom and dad head to Mexico. So <laughs> wonderful. Be, uh, I, we're excited. We can't wait. And uh, hopefully the, the grandies will be as excited as we are. <laughs> so if you, if you need to not with yeah. sweets if you need to escape and have a cup of coffee barry give us a ring <laughs> yeah okay so, so i imagine there's going to be playtime on tap barry oh absolutely we're gonna there'll be all kinds of things of course they're in school so we'll have to get them to school but afterwards on the weekend and everything else uh Grandma and Grandpa will, 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 well, I don't know if we'll be keeping them busy or they'll be keeping us busy, but, or uh, probably both. I think <laughs> you'll be keeping them busy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it'll, be, it'll uh, be fun. That's great. Well, that's great. Thanks for that, Darren. Um, now, you paint a very nice picture, you know, working for a church, working for a debt organization, happily married, three beautiful daughters, grandchildren. 
But um, it wasn't always like that, was it, Darren? No, Mark, it wasn't always like that. I've been on a bit of a journey, my friend. Tell us, t start wherever you want to and tell us a little bit about your journey. Tell us a bit about your story and what you got up to. Um, okay. Yeah, so I'll, I'll lay the foundation. So basically, my, my birth mother was quite a chaotic lady um, and she ended up having a, an affair with a married man um, and they were both... I think heavily involved with drinking a lot of alcohol. Um, she was, my mom was a very much of a, a party goer um, and wasn't very stable at all. And out of that um, affair, that fling, she became pregnant with me. Um, and I understand that basically um, my birth father's wife um, found out and there was a bit of an altercation between um, my birth mother and birth father and there was a little bit of damage done to her and also done to me while um, she was pregnant with me. And so when I was born, I had no movement in my arms and my legs. I was put in intensive care for 10 days, being diagnosed with the early signs of having cerebral palsy. Um, now, because of my mom's lifestyle, she chose to give me up for adoption. Um, she wasn't stable enough to keep me as her own child. So... Um, that, that was it. After um, I came out of, uh, after 10 days in intensive care, miraculously, my arms and my legs started moving again. Um, all the signs of cerebral palsy disappeared. Um, and I was able to go home with my adoptive parents who, through the journey of tonight, I'll call them mum and dad. Um, so mum and dad chose to adopt me because they couldn't have their own children. They've been trying for years and years and years. Um, so... As I grew up and got to about the age of, you know, sort of two, 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 two and a half, three, my mom would say to me that there'll never be anybody else but you. And, and as far as they knew, that was it, you know. But then miraculously, my mom became pregnant with my sister, um, which was great news for them. I mean, amazing. Um, but for me, even as a almost a three-year-old, I was just... I just didn't understand because my mum said there would only be me, but then there was a, a sister coming along. No explanation was given. And I remember, I was only about three and a half, but the year, the time my sister was born, I remember looking in her cot and saying, you know, I, I hate you. You know, it, it was meant to be only me. And what are you doing here? So as I grew up, you know, me and my sister had a bit of a, love-hate relationship, more, more hate than love coming from me because I didn't want to there. I believe that my mum and dad loved her more than they loved me. Um, because I think what happened, Mark and Barry, was I think this real seed of rejection was in me from early on um, because I was given up by my birth mother and birth father because I didn't have that bonding um, with my birth mother. So I, I often grew up with, with, I guess, a heart that always felt empty um, and not a heart that was being loved. Now, my mum and dad were pretty reasonable people. They both worked. There was always food on the table. We were always clothed. Um, but they themselves were very broken people. They experienced a lot of brokenness. My mum was conceived in the Second World War and my dad was born just before the Second World War. Um, my, my dad was almost 
killed by a German bomb landing on their house. It was only a wall that stopped my dad and my granddad from being crushed um, by the bomb. And my dad also had something called trench mouth, which meant he was in quarantine for many, many months. So very, very socially awkward guy. And then my mum, her dad was never around. He had a separate family. So it was put on her a lot to do all the work around the house. And so she didn't really have a very good childhood. So my mum and dad were very angry people. There was a lot of fear-based parenting because I was always misbehaving and, um, you know, doing things to my my sister. Um, So there was a lot of shouting, a lot of anger, a lot of aggression, a lot of time of being sent to my room. Um, But as I got older and progressed from the naughty step, um, my mum would use um, physical force, like a hand, um, a slipper, um, a stick, or what we called a flip-flop, if you know what a flip-flop is. But she had this really thick flip-flop. And the great thing about it was, as it went through the air, it slowed down. Um, So I always made it sound like that was the thing that hurt me the most. But it actually felt quite nice. (laughs) <laughs> in a weird way. But, but what I'm saying by that is that there, there was a lot of dysfunctionality within my relationship with my mum, my dad um, and my sister. So that, that was that was the early start of childhood. And that was a sort of environment that I was living in. Yeah. Thanks for sharing that, Darren. Um, so what happened next? I mean, teenagers, how were they for you? Yeah, well, okay, so I was, um, I lived in an area, I used to live in a place called Coventry when I was growing up, a place called Henley Green. Um, across the road from us, there was a place called Woodend, which was renowned for um, quite a few sort of um, bad boys, you know, wayward living. There was a lot of crime that went on over there. So in my, I think even before I, I went into my teens, about the age of nine, I took a, a box of matches out of my my dad's drawer at home, went across to um, the playing fields, as we used to call them, um, in the grounds of a college, Henley College, um, and I set fire to some grass, some dry grass, um, and it went up. I couldn't pull it out. I was with my sister and my my friends, David and Georgina, um, and the fire brigade come, and I said to David and Georgina, whatever happens, do not tell my mum and dad. Um, and they didn't. And from that day onwards, I started setting fire to lots of different things. Um, mattresses, um, dry, dry grass, um, things like um, sort of bins um, on bus stops or around the back of people's flats. I mean, I'm progressing now into my early sort of teenage years. And then I just found my life was like a trail of devastation. I found myself breaking windows, smashing fences, um breaking into cars um stealing bikes push bikes eventually into my later teenage years i started stealing motorbikes um started hanging around with guys who were stealing cars um still carried on setting fire to things um including motorbikes and cars and things like jcbs which are huge earth moving equipment um and then um, yes, find myself hanging around with guys in Wood End, and I was then burgling people's houses. Um, I was breaking into commercial premises. And just to say that none of this was for financial gain. It was just because I was just being led by the wrong crowd. I just felt like going with these guys because they seemed exciting and different to 
to what I was experiencing at home. Um, and eventually, um, I started to open myself up to um, experimenting with alcohol, um, drugs. Um, and of course, there was a lot of women in my life as well. Um, so um, life was starting to get a little bit out of control. Relationship with mom and dad wasn't too good. Um, in fact, getting worse. But then I started to experiment with a drug called cannabis and then anamphetamines known as speed, um, ecstasy, which is MDMA, um, LSD known as acid. Um, and it was at this time that my relationship with mom and dad was really starting to go um, in not a very good direction just because I wasn't in a very good space. Um, I think I was probably angry a lot of the time. Um, I think really just thinking about actually what was going into me was coming out of me. It was my expression of the inner pain that I was feeling, sure. um, the hurt, the pain, the rejection, um, just really always felt alone. I really didn't ever feel like I, I, I was loved or I was, or, or I belonged. I mean, I never heard that word in my house, I love you. <laughs> it wasn't the language that was spoken. It was not something which I heard. So I went looking for love in all the wrong places. And I think you know, when I got up to about the age of 31, I had sexual relationships with about 80 different women. Um, I was same-sex attracted as well. I never gave myself fully over to that way of living. Um, but I was just looking for comfort in all the wrong places. Mm -hmm. And as I got to probably the late 90s and early 20, yeah, about 2001, um, I've been using a drug called cocaine um, for about five years. Um, and I was taken up to about seven grams of cocaine a night. I mean, that's probably about 350 pounds worth. Um, I was out drinking Thursday, Friday through to Monday, um, having no sleep, taking all sorts of other drugs as well. Um, and eventually I started to deal, to sell drugs. Um, and I was selling anamphetamines, ecstasy, and cocaine. And because I was a bit of a um, connoisseur, and what I mean by that is I always wanted the best of everything. So because I had the best, everybody came to me because they knew that what I had was decent stuff. Um, so um, I was always selling out of drugs. I always had, yeah, lots of money coming in. I was driving sports style cars. I was wearing the nicest designer clothes and aftershaves i always went to the nice clubs with what we would call famous people music artists sports people um and that that was my life i was going to the gym probably five times a week you know because i had to look a certain way i had to fit in with the crowd as it were um mm -hmm. and one day i tried to basically order um i normally start used to start off with two ounces of cocaine every weekend but I could only get hold of half an ounce. And I left my, my flat in Leamington Spa, um, walked across a car park, went through an alleyway, and there was two guys there in a car who I was to drop off two bags of cocaine, um, which is two grams of cocaine. I took 100 pounds off them. And as I turned around to go through the alleyway, um, I got jumped on by Leamington Drug Squad. So the local police jumped on me and basically arrested arrest me, took me back to my property. I told them where the drugs were, I told them where the money was, and I told them where the scales were to, um, yeah, to basically measure I, out the drugs. 
Can I just interrupt there a bit, Darren? And just obviously yeah. you've described your arrest then. Um, just just take us back a little bit into the early teenage years when you were setting fire to things and breaking into things. Were you ever caught? Oh, yes. So, so, so yeah, because I, I was somebody that just wanted approval and acceptance. And I got to, to the point where the police knew my name and it felt great. Um, I almost got on their Christmas card list, I think. Um, so, so basically, yeah, what? So I, I got arrested for, um, yeah, for um, things like, um, yeah, attempted burglary. I got arrested for, for, um, for deception. I tried to give in a fraudulent um, insurance document um, because I caught, got caught driving with no insurance. Um, I was often pulled over and charged for having no MOT, um, no tax, um, and things like that. Um, but then I was also arrested for a, a number of other things, but then released without charge. So all this was, was going on before, you know, I so basically... were they any sort of those encounters with the police, getting on their Christmas card list, getting known by them, did that have any check on, on your behaviour or how you felt about yourself or did it just, were you just, did you just think you were above all of that? How, how did that work for you? Yeah, I, I think what, what happened was I've, because my parents reacted in such a negative way um, that I just carried on rebelling because mm -hmm. there, there was no, looking back, there was no opportunity to reconcile um, or to, I guess, help and support me in a positive way. Um, mm -hmm. It was more about being told that what I was doing was wrong, almost like, you know, you're bringing shame on the family, um, you know, you're a disgrace. Um, you know, so it was, it, it was not a place where I really wanted to be. Um, I mean, in all of that, I mean, for most of the time, I, I stayed in employment. I managed mm -hmm. to sort of keep working um, because it obviously paid for my lifestyle and the things that I was doing. Um, but but no, it was definitely not a an environment, a family environment where I felt that, you know, I could have those mm -hmm. one to ones with, with my mum and dad. I mean, one night me and a friend got arrested for suspicion of murder just because we were in the in in the same area where a murder had taken place we had nothing to do with it we had no idea it, it happened and my dad picked me up from the police station in rugby and you know, he just said to my mom i can't understand why darren doesn't talk to me about these things it's because we didn't really have a relationship where i felt like i could talk to my dad and open up to him um it was more as i said more like fear-based parenting and uh, although i think i loved my parents then um i definitely love them now um, it just, it, we didn't have that relational connection. Sure. Okay, so carry on. You, you, you get busted by the, the drug squad. You're, how, how old are you then? Um, so I was about 28, 29 when I got busted by um, Leamington Drug Squad, Warwickshire Drug Squad, yes. Yeah. So what happened to you? Was this, yeah, the, was so, this the big one? Yes, this was this was the big one. Yeah. So so what happened was um, so I got taken to, to the police station um, they interviewed me um, and I was just, do you know, when I think there's a moment in your life where things just change, because I think a lot of the time when I'd gone to the police station before um, for various things, I've always spent time in the cell. 
making up the best story possible. Um, Jack and Ori, um, you know, I was just able to, as we say, blag my way out of it and, and either get no sentence or a lesser sentence or just a slap on the wrist. But something happened in that police cell and I came out and I was just honest about everything. Um, I just said to them, you know, I, I've been I've been drug dealing. I've been selling it to my friends. I've got an issue with drugs myself. Um, you know, I've never really been looking for help. Um, I was hoping to use some of the money to pay my debts off, uh, which to be fair, that I did say that, but that wasn't true. But I just thought it might have helped me. Um, and at the end of the interview, the, the um, custody officer or the interviewing officer said to me, he said, you're in a lot of trouble, young man. <laughs> um, so it, it probably didn't feel like um, I did the right thing then. Um, but I was then out on police um, um, bail for several months um, before appearing in Crown Court. And what happened, I was working in Coventry as a recruitment consultant. And this was August 2001. And I went out at lunchtime to get some food. Um, and um, I was on my way back to the office and I was stopped by two young people, probably about 13, 14 years old. Um, they grabbed hold of my arm um, and they said, excuse me, can we ask you a question? And it was as blunt as this. They said, have you ever thought of becoming a Christian? Wow. I said, what? He said, we're from a Stonely Bible week and we're oh, okay. doing some outreach. And we want and we just wanted to ask you. And I said, let me ask you a question. If your God is real, does he forgive you for the things that you've done wrong? And they said, yes, everything. All you need to do is say sorry. And I said, how long has your God got? <laughs> um, and they just laughed and said, look, I've not got, got time for this. You know, I've got to get back to work. And they said to me, before you go, can we pray for you? Um, so they put wow. their hands on my shoulders and they prayed for me. And I didn't feel anything, but what happened then was, it was October of 2001. Um, I went to Crown Court that day. All I had left in my flat was the clothes I was wearing to court, the bed in which I slept in, because I was ready to go to prison. And that morning I got down on my knees and I said to God, if you're real, do not let me go to prison. If I don't go to prison, I will believe in you and I will try and sort my life out and do something about it. Um, that morning in Crown Court, the judge gave me three years in prison. Um, and in that moment, I thought, wow, God can't be real then, can he? Um, because, you know, here I am going to prison. So I ended up in HMP Blakenhurst, which is in Reddish, now called HMP Huell. Um, and then after that, um, because I'm coming off drugs and alcohol, I was very low, I was very down, I was very vulnerable. And I felt very empty inside because... But my drugs have been my comfort blanket. My drugs mm -hmm. have been the things that the, the ladies that I had relationships with, you know, all the things that I had were, were all false comforts and they'd all been stripped away from me. So somebody gave me a book and, I, and I, this guy is not a Christian, but it was by, by a guy called Bo Lozroff and it's called We're All Doing Time. And I think this guy had a prison ministry. He might have actually been a Buddhist. But in this book, he was talking about God and all of us having a God-shaped hole within us and how empty we can be without God or something that is like God. Um, so I was really taken by this book. I was really drawn in. 
Um, and then I got moved from HMP Blakenhurst to HMP Wellingborough in Northampton. Um, and when I was there on the induction wing, this was about December 2001, um, I basically picked up a Gideon's Bible. Um, it was like it was calling to me. So I picked it up. And I mean, most guys in prison, they, they use the, the Bible pages as cigarette papers. Um, but because I didn't smoke, there was a good chance I was going to get past page one. Um, so basically, I read the first page of Genesis and it just did not make sense to me. So the next day I went to the library and there was a book that just seemed to be waving at me. And it was a testimony book. And it was about uh, an American guy who was an alcoholic. Um, he hated himself. He hated everybody. He hated the world. Um, and he was on a golf course and he got struck by lightning. And he was out foot cold. He, he, he was in a coma. He went into hospital. And he said when he was in hospital, he had a vision of Jesus. Jesus came to him and said to him, I've not finished with your life. I'm going to give you my Holy Spirit and you will know what to do next. And he said he left the hospital almost that same day. Uh, I was going to say almost immediately. He went to um, a church, to a, a pastor, explained to him the story. And he gave his life to Jesus. So right now I'm, I'm back in my cell and I just said to God, I said, look, this spiritual being that this guy's talking about in this book, are you real? Do you exist? I mean, are you there? I asked God three times and I'm telling you, it was the best thing I ever asked because I felt this amazing presence just fill my wow. heart. I felt this, this love that I've never, ever felt. I'm sharing a cell with a guy from Liverpool called Lee Monaghan. And all of a sudden I'm laughing and Lee's saying, hey, Mitchell, what are you laughing at yourself for? Next thing I'm crying. And, and he says, Mitchell, what are you crying for? And I didn't know what was going on, but it just felt amazing. And I just, my thoughts were, if I can bottle this, I'll be a millionaire. This is like <laughs> the best ever. Um, the next morning I woke up and... I just said to God, if that was you, it's between me and you and nobody else, okay? God's got a sense of humor, hasn't he? Um, but I opened the Bible up for the second time, and I opened it up at Isaiah 61, and I read those words where it come down to say, um, and I've come to set the captive free and release the prisoner from darkness. Yes. Um, and I said to God, I says, if this is from you, send an angel with a taxi outside, and I'll believe this is from you. <laughs> Um, but what started to happen was that I started to go to chapel in church, uh, sorry, chapel in prison, and there was people coming in, and I started to do an alpha course, um, and I didn't get to finish the alpha. I, I, I came out of prison in January 2003, um, and I started to go to a couple of churches. They didn't really seem to fit um, too well, um, so eventually I went to the Christian bookshop in Leamington Spa, and I asked the guy there what would be the best church for me to go to. And I explained to him about my life, the background. He said, St. Mary's Church, go to St. Mary's. So I went to St. Mary's on Sunday morning. I opened the door and it was one of those hallelujah moments where I just felt like I'd come home. Mm -hmm. um, and um, I had a chat with the vicar afterwards, the pastor. And I enrolled on their project called Pathway, which was to help people come off drink and drugs. Mm -hmm. um, which was great. It was amazing. It was a little bit like an AA meeting um, where you'd meet in a group 
um, and then we started to meet separately. But I was on a tag, which means I was on a curfew from seven at night to seven in the morning. Um, and then when my tag came off, sadly, I started drinking alcohol and taking drugs again and, and chasing the ladies. Um, but that was only for about two or three months. I went over to Coventry and I, I was also a DJ as well. So I was playing at a music festival there. Um, I drank about 14 bottles of alcohol, drove back to Leamington Spa, went to a, a couple of bars and nightclubs, had a line of cocaine, um, went, drove back home. Um, and the next morning I went to church and I didn't, again, I didn't feel anything specific, but I just was completely delivered from alcohol and drugs. And I've never been back since, which was amazing. 20 years ago, which was absolutely amazing. So that, that was part of my journey. Um, and then I went on to do an alpha course and on the alpha weekend, um, asked Jesus into my life and got filled with the Holy Spirit, got baptized in October of that year. Um, and, and that was the initial introduction to me fully, you know, started to give my life to Jesus. Mm -hmm. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> what a story. My Darren. words Thank exactly. You. Yeah. Um, yeah. Earlier on, you, you said you, you relied on a lot of false comforts to try and ease the pain in your heart. Um, now you've been, you come out of prison, you've, you found Jesus, you've been set free miraculously from drugs, alcohol. Um, what about the pain in your heart? Was that still there from, you know, being adopted and childhood issues and... Uh, yeah. Was that... I think what, yeah, yeah. Well, I think what started to happen for me was... I mean, I got so into the Bible, I got so into prayer, I got, you know, I, I became a tick box Christian. Mm -hmm. You know, if there's any such thing as a tick box Christian where I was praying, I was worshipping, I was fasting, you know, I was doing all the things that the Bible said for me to do. It was because I didn't have that love from my parents. So I mm -hmm. believed in my heart that I needed to please God for him to like me. Um, so... I went at it. I seen over a thousand people come to know Jesus. I would pull over in my car and run after people that had ailments of any sort. I wanted to see people healed. I wanted to see people delivered and set free. Um, I became a regional evangelist for Christians Against Poverty. Um, I was being invited to speak um, at the Gideon's gatherings and small ones mm. and heading towards their national ones. Um, I was involved with men's ministry. I was involved in preaching in churches. Um, I was just whatever needed doing, I would do it. I would be there. I would be the yes man. Um, and it was just like I was like the Hussein, the, the Hussein Bolt of Christianity. I just had to keep going and going and going and going because the more I do, I'm pleasing God. He must like me a little bit more, a little bit more. You know, one day I was walking across a car park near um a, a pub near me and, and i actually heard god speak to me I, I say god because i have not had this revelation of father yet um, and he said to me darren i'm not interested in your trophy cabinet he says i'm interested in your heart mm. um and it really stopped me and it impacted me in such a massive way and and you know the thing is you know i'm, I'm doing all these things for god doing all these things for, for the church and but, you know, inside the truth is, you know, I, I said I had a massive issue with comfort eating. 
Um, I, w- I was running probably at times up to six, seven times a week because I found identity in that because I was getting a lot of encouragement from people from how well I was doing, running 10Ks, half marathons, etc. I was getting encouragement as an evangelist because I was seeing people come to know Jesus, which I know God involves us, but it's all the Holy Spirit's work. But it's like, you know, it was all about me, 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 this or- orphan wound and was just being filled and filled and filled and filled with the the wrong sort of encouragement. Um, And I think what happened is, I think I'll take you up to about 2016, um, and I went to a men's breakfast at a church called Victory Church in Combran in Wales. Mm -hmm. Um, And a guy called um, Heath was talking about the difference between the orphan heart and being a son of God. Um, And I was intrigued by what I heard. And I, I just really, it just, it, it did, it drew me in. Um, and then I think summer of that year, I had a real sense of God saying to me, Darren, I want you to drop some things because then I was still working for CAP in the debt center, um, regional evangelist. I was heading up a lot of other areas of ministry as well. Uh, and I was feeling exhausted. I really was feeling very, very tired um wasn't sleeping well to be fair for, for years i hadn't slept well um and what started to, to happen was i think i got to about october 2016 i fell asleep in my chair uh, my lovely ikea chair at home um and i woke up and i couldn't breathe and i was having a panic attack and i just started praying in tongues and praying and praying and praying until i could breathe and, and i said god what's going on and i heard god say to me he said ah, I've got your attention. (laughs) Um, He said, I tried to talk to you in the summer, but you did not listen. So then (laughs) I went through a journey of letting go of some things. I just kept the debt center um, job going, um, that that area, because I was so passionate about, you know, just spending time with the poor and just Mm -hmm. being, yeah, just being with them really. And then, um, yeah, just kept on the role of regional evangelist, but all the other stuff that, that dropped away. And then in 2017, I went through a bit of a healing journey um, because I think one of the things I, I will add in, Mark and Barry, is, I mean, one of my foundational verses has always been Psalm 46.10, which is, be still and know that I am God. And that word know, if we look at the interpretations of it, you know, it is about knowing, it is about being acquainted with, with, with God. Um, and in all of my chaos, I was still in a place of stillness, but I never really found rest. I never really found rest, mm-hmm. but it was something that became uh, a part of my journey. So, so when I, in 2017, I'm going through this healing year where I went to Alal Ministries um, two or three times, and that made a difference. But I got to the start of 2018 and I was just still so empty. And I just kept on crying out to God saying, what is missing? What is the thing that I just, I I don't get it. I've dropped all these things. There's been healing going on. No, what is it? And I just heard, Father. That's what I heard. (laughs) Father. So, So that was it. I was on YouTube. I was on the internet. I came across Jack Frost, Jack Winter. Um, oh, what a guy's group of fishing, fishing, eh, and all of that. I mean, amazing, what passion. And I just thought, wow, you can do this to people like that. 
So then I started to look online and seeing what else was available conference wise. And that's when I, I heard about the, um, I think you might have called it an A school then or something yeah. similar that you call Counter Now Mark, um, which that was probably about July 2018. Yeah. Um, so I came along to that Father Heart School and wow, I mean, what an encounter, what an experience. I mean, just to actually have the start of that revelation of Father coming into into my life and and one of the things that even then and, and i think i've mentioned this to before to you before you you started you're doing one session on comfort and because you know I, I'm, I'm british the stuff stiff up a lip and you know we we are said as, as men you know you know you basically you know you man up you know big boys don't cry um, and you start talking about comfort and, I, and my initial reaction was what a wuss he needs to man up <laughs> no, but he said, if you want to come and receive comfort, come up and have a hug. And I was out of my chair before I knew what was going on. And and that was it. The comfort of the father came in and I was crying and it just really touched my heart. But the other interesting thing that happened on that week was you asked us to write letters you know, to, to our parents. Mm-hmm. And it was four years later that I sent that letter to my dad and to my mum. I rewritten the one to my mum. But, you know, the journey of healing has been hmm. a close relationship with my mum and dad. And me and my mum now hug and we say that we love each other. Mm-hmm. And But after I sent that letter to my dad, he, for the first time in my 50 years of life, this happened last year, he gave me a full frontal hug. And I was able to embrace my dad wow. for the first time ever in that way. And, you know, just... I mean, that, that's what, what comes out of this revelation of God being our, our father. Um, but yeah, and there's probably a bit more to follow as well, but I'm not sure if you have any more questions. But Well, Darren, thank you so much for sharing this. This is, this is great. This is great. I mean, the, tr- the transformation the father takes us on and the journey he takes us on is just amazing. And... Um, I don't know if you've got any questions you want to ask Barry, but um, you know, Darren, while Barry's thinking, I'd just like to ask you this. You know, you, you had that encounter with comfort. And that was, was that a one-off or has that been something that you've continued to live in and grow in um, over these last four or five years? Yeah, I think after the Father Heart um, encounter in 2018, I, I was just hungry for more. So I was just soaking myself daily in in, in your archive that you and Barry have here uh, on a Father to You and Father Heart TV. Um, I was just listening to all the all the stuff from James Jordan, Denise Jordan, and Stephen Hill, and all those guys. Um, and I think mm-hmm. what you realise. That you go through seasons with father that he he's 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 the same yesterday today and forever we know that but he's always doing something different in our hearts mm-hmm. and i think about two years ago because i heard stephen hill speak on comfort first after you mark um and then i just for the last two years i i just haven't left that place mm-hmm. of just listening to teachings on comfort um, i mean there's probably some of your teachings mark i probably know word for word um <laughs> But what, it's experiential, isn't it? Because it is. what you're speaking, Father is doing, and whoever's listening to it, you are encountering. So what started to happen with, you know, it's this comfort started to go in, and 
all of the buried hurt, all of the mm -hmm. buried pain, the shock, the, the trauma, you know, all of the disappointment, the discouragement you know, that, that, that I've been through. In fact, I went through a time where every single negative word that my mum has ever spoken over me was, was just being dealt with in my heart. Um, wow. And even as close as this morning, I woke up this morning and I just heard, heard in my heart, um, my mum saying, you know, you put on me too much. And, and, I, and I always like to test whether it's a father or not. And I really had a sense of him saying um, to me, like, just forgive her. Just let it go. Let it go. Just let her go in that area. And, and as I did, father started to talk to me. You see, when you believe that lie in your heart, you started to believe that actually you, you were not enough for your mum. No, she, she didn't want to. No, she couldn't handle you at certain times. No, she didn't know how to deal with your situation. So in your heart, you became independent and you believe that actually you could do things in your own strength better than asking her for help. And so that in itself created an orphan heart. Um, and just dealing with that today and just feeling that wow. release, what I feel like, again, is just more... More, more desire, any more levels of performance or looking for approval or acceptance is just fallen away. And that's just the gift of the comforting love that mm -hmm. Father offers to us. And it, and it is a gift. It's a free gift and it's available to all. And I'm just sitting here this evening just in, in total awe of how easy Father makes it. As I said, for me, all I've had to do is be still and, and I just allow Father to reveal his character, nature, and personality you know, to, to, my, to my heart, you know, because we're all his little boys and girls. And we just need to nestle up on, on Papa's bosom and just drink it in. And he just makes it so simple and so easy. And, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm on a journey like all of you. There's still brokenness within me. But I think one of the things I've heard Father say is, Darren, to me, your brokenness is beautiful. Um, because you can do one of two things. You can either try and work it out yourself or you can just come and bring it to me and let me deal with it when I'm ready. Because what I want more than anything is just you, mm -hmm. nothing else but you. Wow. And that's what it's become about, really. So, so yeah, amazing. Wow, thank you. So, Darren, just as we sort of come to an end of this... Um, I think, you know, sometimes we, we hear stories like yours and we go, wow, you know, what a transformation. Isn't the father good? You know, it takes this guy, brings him out of the pit, restores him, heals him, sets him free. And, you know, I think sometimes some of us who don't have such an exciting story as perhaps you've, you've had, we, we kind of go, well, yeah, okay, that's, you know, that's, that's what he needed. But actually, Darren, we've all got, We've all got a journey, we've all got a story, and to one degree or another, we've all got um, a level of brokenness in our life. You know, none of us received, none of us received the love we needed from our, our earthly parents simply because they themselves weren't able to receive that from our grandparents. So, um, you know, what everybody's on their own journey everyone's got their own story um 
what would you say to people is the key thing? Mm. Yeah, you're, you're right, Mark. Every person is unique. We, we were all uniquely made. Um, but the one thing that we all have in common is that we were all made for love. Mm-hmm. We were all made in love to become love because that is what it's all about. And whether it, it, I mean, I wish I wasn't here telling you this story because I wish that my life was different because I've had to go through all of that pain and all that difficulty. Yeah. Um, but it's the same father who is loving yeah. me, who is loving you and loving them. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's no different. All he desires of us is just to come with an open, childlike heart um, in simplicity, just to receive mm-hmm. everything that he is for us. And yeah. as we know, it's not a one-time experience, is it? It's a constant dwelling and infilling of his love mm-hmm. in mm-hmm. our heart. You know, I think yeah. one of the things that I like in the Bible, and I've just noticed this recently, is um, there was the moment where um, Jesus revealed to um, to John and to uh, to his disciples that he was going to be betrayed, mm-hmm. um, and, and you can imagine being there and just how you know shocking that would have been to hear those words. You know the trauma that would have come into their hearts, and I, I just love it because if you look at what John was doing, John then inclined immediately onto the bosom of Jesus, mm. but he knew how to access comfort and you know there's people who are listening to this tonight and i just think that you know you are in a place or in a time at the moment where you're you're hearing things and and you've been shocked you've been traumatized because also with the disciples grief and loss would have started to come in as well but john just knew where to go and i think that's the invitation this evening that let's just know where to go which is Mm. in the bosom of the father I think it says it, isn't it, in a finish, I think I'll just say, you know, in, um, in 1 John 18, you know, nobody's seen God at any time, um, but the only begotten Son is in the bosom of the Father. So mm-hmm. if we're seated with Christ in heavenly places, where are we? We're already there. Yes. So, so we are, <laughs> the most simplistic thing is just realizing like, wow, I, I don't have to go there. I'm already there. So oh, it's just, thank you. yeah. Amazing. So, yeah, thank you. Darren, what I'd like you to do, if you're willing, just as we finish, is would you just be willing to pray for us? Just people who are watching, people who are watching later, people who are listening later. Um, I'd, we'd just love it if you could just, whatever's on your heart, just pray it out for us. Mm. And I've just seen a comment, um, one of the comments from Matthew, who, who you'll know. Um, he says, whoop, whoop for Alpha. In the new year, I'll be teaming up with some good people to run an Alpha course in our local prison father is good matthew bless you may that just be a great time and i i hope you've been encouraged by hearing um darren's story tonight so darren would you like to do that for us would you like to pray for us yes certainly yeah father i just want to thank you and just thank you for this spirit of sonship Mm. this spirit of sonship we cry out our Father, our Daddy, our God, 
And Father, I just thank you that, that we love you because you first loved us. You loved us before the creation of the world. Mm. Um, your love transcends time, generations. You are eternity past, eternity present, and eternity future. So you were loving us yesterday, you are loving us today, and you're already loving us tomorrow, although for us tomorrow is not yet here. So Father, I want to ask you mm. over every precious son and daughter who is here this evening or will be listening to this later, that you would just release a fresh outpouring of your comforting love. And I ask that that comforting love will go to that deep, deep place, the place where only you know where they need to receive that comfort, that place where you already are, and just help every precious child of God to open up their hearts to you, Papa, to receive everything that you are and all that you have for them. And Father, there is no brokenness. There, is, there isn't anything that is impossible for you. And Father, we know that sometimes coming out of the pain, out of the brokenness, it can be uncomfortable. It can be difficult. Mm. But you were with us as much as when we went into the pain, as, as you will be with us as we come out of the pain. So, Father, help us to be still and mm. to know that you are our Abba Father and that you would always be there for us, always love us. And, Father, I just want to finish by reminding us that there is always more, yes. always mm. more of you. There is never too much. There is never, Father God, enough. There is always yeah. more. And the mm. truth is, Father God, the joy is, is that we get to experience yeah. all for all eternity, for all mm. eternity, mm. where there will be eternally more. So, Father, help us just mm. to step into that revelation and that realization um, that you are always, always the same constant loving Father. So, mm. Father, meet us today where we need yeah. to be met by you and keep us in that place of childlike vulnerability in simplicity of heart and faith and where we can just enjoy you and by enjoying you let other people enjoy the you in us mm. so father we thank you and we bless you this evening father as you continue to release your spirit of sonship over every precious son and daughter yeah. in jesus name amen Amen. Thank Amen. you. Thank you. Thank you. Well, Darren, bless you. Thank you for your vulnerability, your openness. Thank you for sharing your story and your life with us. Mm. And, you know, our prayer is that as many, many people listen to this and watch this, it would give them hope of that transformation in their hearts too. So bless you, Darren. Thanks. Thanks for being with us. You're welcome. Yeah. It's great to be here. Thanks, Barry and Mark. Bless everybody this evening and this afternoon and this morning. <laughs> Whenever it is. And um, <laughs> Barry and I will be back next week. 
same time, same place, I guess, Barry. <laughs> yes, for sure. Yes, and I just want to say thank you, Darren. I, you know, when you were talking, I just, you know, I just heard, you know, the the testimony of of God being a father to the fatherless, mm. and He puts the lonely in families. and And thank you for for being our brother, you know. And it's just uh, we're brothers because we have the same father. And yeah. Uh, yeah, just such a joy to hear you. And we just pray a continued blessing on you, your family, your ministry, and what Papa has in store for you. I has yeah. not seen nor ear heard nor entered into the heart of man the things that God has prepared for those who love him. But God has revealed it to us by his spirit. So we say yes and amen to all of that for you, my friend. Yeah. Amen. Thank you. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank you, guys. And we'll see you next week, everybody. Right. Thanks. Uh, thanks, everybody. Bye.